0: We're going to come to our reading now. We're going to read from God's Word, from the letter to the Romans. So if you want to turn that up in your Bibles, we're going to be reading from chapter 9. And we're carrying on our series in Romans today. So we're going to be reading chapter 9, verse 30, to chapter 10, verse 4. What then shall we say that the gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it a righteousness is by faith but the people of israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal why not because they pursued it not by faith but as if it were by works they stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So Josh is going to come up and as he does, I'm just going to pray for him. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we can listen to your words still this morning. We want to thank you that we can Uh, sit under it and see what it means for us in our lives. And Father, I just pray that with all the things that are pressing in on our minds, all the things that we can see around us in in our rooms at home, all the things that could distract us, that we will be focused on hearing you and your words, Lord. We pray that we would be open to, to hear your words for us and see how you want us to change, how you want us to be made more and more into the likeness of your son, Jesus. So I pray you use Josh this morning to bring us your words for our hearts and our
1: minds. Amen. Thanks, Rory. Oh, good morning. There is a, a group of missionaries who were working in Eastern Europe some years ago on, on a, a big church planting mission. But the trouble was that they were working among people who were already very religious. And so when these missionaries told them about Jesus and about how he's the only way, to righteousness with God, they, they didn't really respond very well. At times, these people, they would become quite violent, and they would attack the, uh, the missionaries whenever they were on their missions. Now, the hardest things for, for these missionaries was that they hadn't traveled from some faraway land in England or America or Korea or somewhere. They were missionaries among their own people. And they soon discovered the same thing that, that Jesus said in Mark 6, verse 4 that a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives in his own home. You said it can be quite tough, can't it, when you're, you're trying to witness to those people who are near you, you know those you love, your friends, your, your family. It often seems that they are the hardest to get through to, those who are, who are often closest to us. Now, these missionaries in Eastern Europe... Well, they decided to leave their own people, and they actually traveled further west into Greece and Turkey and and Italy and and the other nations around there, and and there they found a a much greater response. People suddenly started to to believe and and were receptive to the message that the the missionaries were giving them. And as they told them about Jesus, about his amazing grace, a, a small revival broke out, and there's this great turning to, to the Lord, and new churches were planted, and communities were transformed, and it, it became the seed of one of the greatest ages in, in European history. Now, you know, I know you've all heard of, of these missionaries. most famous of them was a man who was, who was born in Turkey, and then grew up in, in Jerusalem studying. His name was Paul, and we read in one of his books this morning the Apostle Paul, and he had a whole team of, of church planters with them, people like Barnabas and Luke and Silas and Priscilla and Aquila and Titus, and, and God blessed their work as they, they preached the gospel throughout Europe, and we're still eating from that fruit today, aren't we? But they didn't start their mission work preaching to the Gentiles, no, to Gentile Europe, those outside of Israel. They began with their own people, with, with the Jews, But they found the ground so hard there. The response was so limited. And and they were chased out of town after town and persecuted relentlessly. And I don't think Paul could ever have imagined as a proud Jew that he would write this letter that we're looking at this morning, a letter to the Roman church, the center of of the the pagan empire. But as he writes this letter, I I think he, he sort of stops to think about what's happened over the past 20 years or so since Jesus ascended into heaven. And he sees two things as he considers the world around him. He sees his, his, his fellow countrymen, the Jews, who have been spiritually privileged and, and blessed for well, more than any other people on earth. And they, they have, by and large, rejected their Messiah. But the Gentiles, those who have never really sought after God, they have found Him, and they've found what Paul calls a righteousness. It's a key word that comes up again and again in our passage. Righteousness. You can see that word appear in our first two verses of our passage. It says, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. And then Paul replies in verse 32 why? Why has this happened? Why have the Gentiles obtained this righteousness, but the people of Israel have not? Has God's plan failed? As God spent thousands of years of Old Testament history nurturing and and protecting and blessing this special group of people, Israel, only for the whole plan to fail at the end, and and for Israel to to reject their Messiah. Why, he says. Well, the first part of chapter 9 that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, it assures us that no, God's plan has not failed. And the first reason that Paul gave, and it's what Phil has been taking us through the last couple of weeks, is all about the doctrine of election. God says back in verse 15 of our passage, that I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Or down in verse 21, doesn't the potter, that's God, doesn't he have the right to do as he pleases with his clay? And so that's Paul's first answer to this big conundrum, why? And, And it's true, God chooses... Who he, who he pleases to find righteousness. It is his prerogative. He, but then people could respond to that and say, well, that just doesn't seem fair. Why does God choose some and, and, and not others? Have you ever found life to be unfair? You know, we have a sense, don't we, that, that life ought to follow a certain pattern. You know, maybe you've got younger siblings, and maybe when you were growing up, you might remember that you found your parents They were far more risk-averse with you as the older child. But when your younger siblings came through, they seemed to be able to get away with doing all sorts of things or going out late or or going out on their own. But but you, it wasn't fair when you were that age. We find life around us in so many areas, this doesn't seem fair sometimes. But your folks, they are in charge. It's their right as parents to to do as they please. So how much more then with, with our Creator? So Paul extends this argument from the first part of chapter 9, and he continues it. And my, my first point this morning from these verses is that the blessings of Israel are rejected. The blessings of Israel, rejected. So in the Bible, the first blessing that we see recorded that comes with a promise can be found all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. And God, as is his right, he chooses one man One man called Abraham and he says to him, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And because God promised it, of course it's going to happen. We can be assured of that. And this childless old man, Abraham, he became the father of of the promised land. He became the father of of a child of the promise at 100 years old. Now, his child Isaac, he goes on to have more children, and then they have children until they find that there are suddenly about a million of them. And they're all eventually living in the land of Egypt. But they find that they are enslaved there, they are slaves of a, of a foreign country. They are without hope in this great land. But there's a, a rescue plan because God has promised to bless this people. And so while they're here in this, this great big city, there's a, there's a great escape plan. And we know the story so well. There's a huge river going through. And God parts, these, parts this great river, the Nile, uh, the Red Sea. And as they go through, God's people are escaped. And God sets them free as they leave Egypt. And they go into the promised land of Canaan that God gives them. And so then, after he rescues his people out of slavery, he then, and, and this is the order is really important here. God then gives them the law. And he writes his law, Ten Commandments, on two stone tablets. But you see what happened first? He rescues them out of slavery, and then he gives them a way to follow him. And so right from the beginning of the Ten Commandments, you can read it in Exodus 20. It says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. And he goes through all the Ten Commandments. But the very first words are, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery so from the beginning, did you hear that first part? There are clues in this great story of the Bible about how we can find this righteousness. See, this is the thing that all people are looking for. This great thing called righteousness. Being right with God. And long, long before all things were made, people have been searching for this righteousness. All people through all time have longed to be right with their maker. But how can we do that? That's the big question that we ask. Firstly, God rescues his people. Then he shows them how to live, how to live in his grace. And he says, it is a gift of grace. It is an act of faith. He gives us then new hearts. He gives us new minds that long to keep and follow his law. And we delight to keep his word. So the order is so important. The law is given, but it's not in order to be righteous. We're already chosen and rescued. And then he shows us how to go on living out of faith, out of joyful obedience to the Lord. But by the time Jesus comes to earth, Israel, his chosen people, they have completely turned upside down the point of the law. And so they try instead to carry this law. And they're trying to do it on their, on their own, by themselves, and to, to make their own righteousness. And they find that it's hard. They cannot keep this law. They cannot keep it completely. And so in our passage, chapter 10, verse 3, it says that they did not know the righteousness of God, and they sought to establish their own righteousness. And that is what they were all doing, by trying to carry the law themselves. their own righteousness, rather than the gift of righteousness that God had given them. You couldn't get further away from God's gift of righteousness than by trying to do it yourself, by carrying the law for yourself. And when Jesus confronted them, his own people, about what they were doing with the law, well, they ended up murdering him on a cross. Now the previous verse in chapter 10 there, says that Paul can testify about these people, his own brothers, the Jews, that they are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. You see, they, they really were zealous. And it can be such a dangerous thing, though, when you mix zeal with ignorance. You see, they were misguided. They, they missed the big picture of all that Scripture had been pointing to. And that zeal led them to reject Jesus and then to persecute his followers, people like Paul. But this opened the way for the whole world to obtain that righteousness, and as, as the floodgates of salvation were opened. I remember some time ago when I was studying, there's a story that one of our lecturers told us when I was at Corn Hill about his experience of, of preaching the gospel at Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park. I think his name was Vijay. He's a little man from, from India, And he was so passionate about the gospel, about Jesus. Zealous he was, in a good way, for the gospel. And he told once about how he was standing on a little box. You can imagine him standing on one of those steps in Hyde Park. And he's standing on top there, speaking out to this big crowd around him, telling them about the only way to find righteousness is through Jesus. And a little crowd began to follow around him and and gather, and there was a a Muslim man in the crowd who was listening to him. And he got really agitated with what Vijay was saying, and he came right up close to him, got right up in his face. It's a very crowded place down there at Speaker's Corner. And then whenever Vijay said something that he didn't like, he would get right up close, and he actually hit Vijay around the face, trying to stop him from speaking any further. But it didn't put Vijay off. He carried on talking and telling the good news about Jesus being the only way to, to, to God. And this man would, would come up and he would hit Vijay again and again whenever he said something he didn't like. And he, he shouted back at him to be quiet, to go home, stop preaching. But Vijay just continued to speak and to share as the crowd grew, as you can imagine, all the way around him. And when the, the talk eventually finished, he stepped down from his box and he, he began to move on when someone in the crowd, another person, came up to him. And he was incredulous. And he asked him, why did you carry on for so long? Why did you carry on speaking when he was hitting you like that and shouting in your face? You should have defended yourself or just stopped and gone home. I would have. But before Vijay could respond, the Muslim man who had come to hit him, he saw this conversation, he heard what was going on. And he came up and he stood next to Vijay, with Vijay. And he pointed his finger at the bystander. And he said to him, what do you believe in? Nothing. Nothing worth living for or dying for, but this man, pointing at Vijay, this man, even though I hate everything he says, I know he believes it. And he's willing to keep on preaching, even though I try my hardest to stop him. What do you believe in? And sadly, that man just walked away, even more dumbfounded than before. Whereas Vijay shook the man's hand and they continued to talk. I think there was an incredible response by both men. It's a picture of great zeal, I think. You see, many Muslims, they are so zealous for God, just as the Jews were, but their zeal was so often based not on knowledge. But Vijay, he too, is very zealous, which is what led him to speak and stand on that box at Hyde Park and to preach the gospel because his zeal is based on knowledge. So what's the difference between these two? You see, lots of people are passionate about lots of things, but even the most strong-willed and fiery characters, they can be completely misguided if their zeal is not based on the truth. People can become fanatics. It can become quite dangerous. But Vijay, he was zealous because he was once a Hindu man from India, and he moved to London, and he found himself in a church one day hearing about this righteousness from God, that can be obtained by faith alone. And it changed his life. And and he discovered the blessings that were once promised to Abraham, the first man of faith, as it were, so long ago, are now available to him, a Hindu man. And so that's the second point this morning, and my final point, really. The blessings of Israel are received. And so the promise to Abraham was that God would bless the whole world through him. And Israel, his children, were, were meant to be a light to the world. They were the keepers of the law. They were the ministers in the temple. They were the ancestors of the Messiah. But Israel, they rejected all the things that all these things that pointed to the Messiah. They stumbled over that stone. That was the very means of their salvation. see, today the blessings of Israel are now being received by Muslims, by Hindus, by atheists, by everyone in between as they discover this amazing news that there is a righteousness that is obtained by faith and it is available to anyone who would receive it, including you this morning as you're tuning in. See in verse 4 of chapter 10 in our passage. It says that Christ is the culmination of, of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Everyone who believes, you see that? And Christ, he does all the work. And this is the essence of the good news. Rather than us trying to carry the weight of the law ourselves, Christ comes and fulfills it perfectly. You see, it's in our nature to want to try to earn our way in life. And it makes us feel good, doesn't it, if we can at least contribute something and we can show off our strength or maybe our stamina or maybe we consider it a virtue to have worked your way up to greater things. But Charles Spurgeon, he, he had a great parable that he would share about a mighty river. Imagine this big, powerful, flowing river. And you wanted to get across to the other side. And you thought, well, the most obvious thing to do is to jump in and to swim, And so you jump into the river and you begin to try to swim across but it's deep and it's wide and the currents are flowing fast. But you're confident you can make it across through the surging waters to the other side. But little did you know that the king of that land he's built a bridge upstream and all you need to do is walk across it. There's no toll for that bridge bridge is free and open and available to anyone who would like to walk across it. But you're, you're in the water, you're started to swim already, you're cold, you're wet, and you're too proud to get out and turn up, turn around and go back to walk across the bridge. And so you're going to persevere to try to swim across that raging water. Now why would anyone do that? Why would you be so reckless or so foolish? Come and use the bridge. Do you know what this bridge is called? This bridge... Is a bridge of faith. It's all it takes to walk across. It's so simple, so free. And the cost of it has already been paid. So, have you, have you had enough of trying to save yourself? And after years of struggling and swimming, you're, you're no closer to safety. In fact, you're in very real danger of drowning if you stay in that river. So, stop struggling. And come to the Lord Jesus and rest in him. Give up your self-deluded foolishness and submit to God's righteousness that he gives freely to all those who trust in him. It's a simple little picture. But let's say, let me just unpick it for a moment though. Well, let's say you are a really good swimmer. And let's say you actually make it. Maybe you do get to the other side and you finally find yourself standing on dry land on the far side of that river. And you see this, this pillar of righteousness before you. You think you've made it. That thing you've been longing for all your life. You've, you've been good. You're a pretty nice person. You've made it across. You think you're doing all right. And you've longed for peace with God all your life. And you run to it. You come in and you embrace the corner of this great pillar. You've used all your effort to get there. All your self-determination and strong will. But even if you could make it across that river and you could make it to the corner of that archway, there would still be no way in through that archway for you. Because you still come across that river with all your sin. All your best efforts, the Bible says, are like filthy rags to the Lord. You will not be welcomed in through that arch. You see, there is only one gate to that bridge. And it's through the Lord Jesus. There's only one way to get across that bridge, and it must go through him. In John chapter 10, verse 9, he says, I am the gate. This is Jesus speaking. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And it's because, as our passage says in chapter 10, verse 4 of Romans, that Christ is the culmination of the law. He kept it perfectly. He stood on it and obeyed every part of that command perfectly. He is the righteousness of God. And it is by faith in him and simple trust in him as our Lord and Savior that we clothe ourselves in his righteousness. And by doing that, we are freely able to walk across that bridge of faith. And we will not stumble over our own efforts. And so as I wrap up, I'm aware that people may have really struggled these last few weeks with the ideas in Romans chapter nine, particularly this big idea of election. You see, if God has mercy, on whom he will have mercy, doesn't the whole illustration just fall apart? And if God chooses those who are his, well then it's not open to anyone. Only the elect may cross that bridge then. Isn't that what it says? But the Bible never says that. In fact, in our passage, in verse 33, It says that the one who believes in him, that is in the rock of Christ, they will never be put to shame. See, there's no qualification there. If you believe, you will never be put to shame. You'll never be rejected. You'll never be turned away. Or if you look further on into next week's passage, in chapter 10, in verse 13, it says, well, it begins with the word everyone. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we have this this great mystery and this tension like we do in so much of Scripture and we have to hold it together so carefully. But let me finish with one final picture that I think might help us just to hold this tension together. I've used it before, I'm sure. So we see this archway, this righteousness of God, that's so attractive, that's what we all long for, to be right with our Maker. And in large letters on there, it says, come, The invitation is open to everyone. Come, the Lord Jesus says, all those who are weary, and I'll give you rest. You see, the Lord offers rest from all our doing, all our striving, all our swimming in our own effort, all our trying to pursue a righteousness that is our own righteousness, as if by works. But Jesus just says, come. All has been done. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly, and he offers you his righteousness. And if you believe in him, you will never be put to shame. Come. But then, as we cross that bridge of faith, trusting in him, as we go through that archway into eternal life with our creator, clothed with with the righteousness of Christ, we look up at this great big archway, and as we go through, we see on the other side that it says chosen. You have been chosen before the creation of the world. Now, no one knows who God elects or why. We will never know in this life, and it's not our place to ask. But we do know and can say confidently that everyone who believes in Christ, who comes to him, will never be put to shame. You see, the desire of Paul's heart His prayer to God that it says in verse 1 is that the Israelites may be saved. He longs that they would receive the blessings that they've rejected for so long. And my desire this morning, my prayer, is that you too would be saved. That you would obtain this righteousness that is by faith alone. It is freely given. Stop trying in your own efforts, but come to him so that you might know that blessing that is now open to the whole world and that is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come. Let me pray, shall I, as we close. Our Father, thank you so much for this wonderful good news. Father, thank you that you've come in the person of Jesus. You sent your Son to rescue us, to fulfill the law, to stand on it purely and completely, and you are obedient. And then you took our sin upon yourself, and you offer us your righteousness so that we may enter into your presence freely by a great gift of grace. So Lord, I pray that all those listening here this morning, that they would receive this righteousness by faith, that we would stop trying that we would stop struggling, stop swimming in our own effort, but that we would come and receive the blessings that were promised to Israel so long ago and that are now open to each one of us today. My Father, change our hearts and help us to see you in all your glory this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.